You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, Stone Spring Maidens. Part 3. The Final Curtain. Chapter 20. The End. Washington, April 26th, 1883. One year and three weeks before these events. Oh, say can you see? When we are sick, we take medicine. It tastes bad, and we make a face, but we swallow it. And if we're lucky, we get better. By the dawn's early light. If we refuse the medicine, and push on blindly through our sickness, and it can only intensify. What so proudly we hailed. The only way that we can watch our grandchildren play under trees our fathers planted is together. The only way we live is together. And if we fail, if the human race falls to the Wendigo, if we are wiped from this earth, it shall be together. At the twilight's last gleaming. Fear is important to us. It indicates we have something we do not wish to lose. But what we must hold on to is the notion Arlington lay upon a bed in a medical station situated deep beneath the District of Columbia. Time was moving in fits and starts. He was aware of Sarah's body lying over to his right. Back at the public stage where they had been shot, he had seen the brightness fade from her eyes as words finally failed her. But uncertainty was intermingled with intense pain. She existed to him now, in a state partway between life and death, and from the shadows, madness beckoned. Dr. Kaufman bade Agent Lee hold Thomas still, while he injected morphine into the side of his face. After a few moments, he began to swiftly and grimly extract bullets from the horrific wounds to his neck, his cheek, his temple, and his forehead. All was silent but for the click of the scalpel and tongs. 
Lee's breathing was shallow, and she held her emotions in check. She would not cry. She pushed the image of her husband in his final moments from her mind. She must simply remain a rock, something for this man to cling to as he hovered over the edge. For two hours, Kaufman labored, sterilizing, sewing, and repairing what damage he could in the vain hope that should this man survive, something recognizable would remain at the left side of his face. When he was finished, the pair of them waited. If he lives, said Lee in a very low voice. He has given me instructions for what is to be done under the circumstances of an assassination attempt. Kaufman's eyes narrowed as she explained, and his brow furrowed deeply. I am not the least bit happy with this course of action. Should we elect to take it? If you breathe a word of this matter, your life will be instantly forfeit. Lee asserted coldly. Do not search for happiness in this sorrowful task. Simply accept your responsibility. Thomas stirred. Lee moved to his side and removed from a pouch at her waist a tiny vial of something black. The director eyed it and nodded, opening his mouth weakly. Lee unstoppered the vial and poured its contents down his throat. His breathing froze within seconds and became so shallow it was undetectable. His heart slowed, his pulse ebbed, and over the next few minutes his body temperature dropped. He gave a perceptible shudder and Lee held her fingers to his neck before nodding. Kaufman sat himself in the corner, his head in his hands. Lee went to the door and beckoned in Truth, who had been waiting outside with Laura Graham. Now Lee allowed herself that moment of sharp anguish, her mind drifting back to 1874. Zhao slipped away as she held him. It was as though the bullet lodged in his sternum was sentient, stealing him from her maliciously. She thought of a life without Thomas and allowed those sensations to take their course. A rounded tear escaped her eye and threaded down across her cheek as she watched the young woman in yellow attend to the bodies of her parents. Truth had only just accepted her mother was gone. Now she collapsed, sobbing over Thomas, gripping his hand and apologizing time and again. Lee propped herself against the wall, feeling sorry she was unsuited to, and allowed the authenticity of Truth's pain to power the moment that they now occupied. It was the only way this illusion would hold. Kaufman eventually stood and began discussing funeral procedures. Truth composed herself and focused on the business of honoring the pair who raised her, but her eye lingered on them both, unwilling to say goodbye. Eventually, she left with Laura, and Master Yagyu was summoned. The three of them sat, waiting out the remaining two hours of Arlington's state of apparent death, as Lee explained his grander plan to the others. Reluctantly, Yagyu fetched Harry's scorpion suit from Weapons Lab A and smuggled it down the tunnels. By the time he returned, Thomas was sitting up and attempting to speak, 
through the haze of morphine, sleeping draught, and the stabbing pain in his face. He glanced up at Yagyu, and the Swordmaster shivered perceptibly. Mirror. Thomas slurred. Lee slowly handed him her compact, and he regarded the twisted, half-formed version of his previous self. Its eyes moved when his did. Its jaw worked in tandem. It felt as though he were now controlling a complex marionette with his mind. Thomas looked across at Sarah. Her unprotected chest, scarlet. Her eyes closed. He inhaled deeply and let out a clattering groan of anguish. He reached forwards to touch the reinforced ceramic plates, bound with metal, leather and cloth that were arranged on the table in front of him. This was to be his shroud. When his eyes opened again, he had become Mr. White. find Agent Lee's finger to his lips. His weak heart was already palpitating, but as he looked across to the window and beheld an armoured form, masked and baleful in the moonlight, he came close to genuinely dying of fright. It's me, sir. Thomas, you're alive. That information is a most valuable kept secret. Sarah and I had countless enemies, and they all saw us fall today. This was a victory for them. If I show my face now, they will simply finish me off. So, if I must hide, it may as well be behind the veil of the death they chose for us. His voice had changed again. Thomas and Sarah were an inspiration. He mused aloud, stalking the room. And that inspiration will live on. Unkillable. We served our purpose. We gave you a plan. It is up to you to see it followed through. Sir, with my last breath, I will. Grant swore. But what will you do now? I no longer need to inspire hope. There are those whom I could never reach, whom Sarah, at her best, would never sway. Those people only think of themselves in the most short-term fashion. They will smash whatever we build towards a future, which does not prize them as the most important. I cannot dissuade them from this path. He paused and turned that fearsome mask towards Grant, who quailed in his bedclothes. But I can terrify them to their very soul with this. As a spectre, I am invincible. As a notion, 
I am their nightmare. You need a shield to defend against their attacks. That is the NIA. But you also need a sword to stab at their hearts. At this, he unsheathed the long katana at his hip. It glinted in the darkness. Let me be their nightmare. Grant considered this, seeing the validity in what was being laid down, but also afraid to argue with this formidable speaker. Within a moment, he had reached his conclusion. If he, Grant, perhaps the most powerful man in the world, was deathly afraid of this individual, then their enemies would be too. It was an idea that made sense to dying men. You have top clearance, Grant murmured. Do what you must to bring stability to this nation. Mississippi, July 24th, 1883. Outside the walls of Green Hollow, White gazed across the gulf to where Harriet Arlington was being held with a knife to her throat. Two options presented themselves, ultimatum or negotiation. For the former, he could intimidate these disgraces that called themselves Americans, convince them that holding out against the tide was useless, that they must capitulate. And they would either relent or they would push on unto death. Though they held the lives of several deeply valuable people in their ranks, these could not be bargaining chips that would sway his hand. That was a fine speech, but I believe you are underestimating how much of a man of principle I am. McClellan, your people have ten seconds to start sending across the first hostages. Odds were, his threat would entail a surrender. If it did not, he must call for Silent Company to open fire. And Harriet Arlington would die. Or he could negotiate. And word of that would spread. How he had allowed secessionists to dictate the terms of engagement. And other settlements would get it into their heads that they could bargain their way out of any situation they disliked. The future where the human race survived would crumble for the whims of individuals. But Harriet Arlington might live. They would fold if he pushed. They had to. Ten. He cried. He was doing this. He had lit the fuse. Nine. They would relent. He could see them shifting nervously. Harry cried out across the blowing grass. Words that White could barely comprehend. So focused was he on this principle, he must maintain. James, the doors need a physical reaction. Eight. Why would they allow themselves and their children to fall under a unified state's gunfire? Seven. For some prideful notion of freedom? Six. He did not allow his eyes to rest upon Harry. Five. This was the right thing to do, the only way he could continue on this hard course he had set himself. Four. They weren't relenting. This was all wrong. White's blood ran cold and something gripped his heart. He nearly screamed stop, 
but the word would not come. Three. This was happening. This was actually happening. He was about to order his daughter killed. Part of his spirit dislodged and floated above him, looking down on the armored sentinel, an empty shell, so sure of itself. Two. James Penrose was shoved down to the ground by Agent Lee, the better to protect him from the returning fire. At the same time, Abigail Gray roared at both sets of poised guns, desperate to prevent calamity. Everybody stop! But it was too late. Was it too late? Did he have a choice? One. They had not given up. They were secessionists to the end. So must die, like secessionists. The guns bellowed. Penrose worked his magic, and White saw something he had not expected whatsoever. A doorway to a different place was ripped open and swallowed the onrushing bullets. At this point, the sheer magnitude of standing at the gateway of another world entirely nearly overcame White. For a fraction of a second, he felt as though a miracle had occurred. He had not faltered in his course. He had done the right thing. And by some quirk of fate, everyone had been spared. All the same, chaos had been kind. Then he saw Harry buckle. Far away behind the door, she slumped to the ground, bleeding profusely from her lower legs as the bullets James had failed to catch hit home. And this was his fault. White could have stopped at any time. He barely noticed the bullets slamming into his own armor, staggering him, but leaving his body uninjured. Back on Thundercloud, White walked up the ramp and calmly negotiated the corridors until he located his personal chamber. He felt lightheaded and recalled seeing spots of blood scattered in his wake from where Harry had been rushed in as Penrose fought to save her life. He regarded them calmly, almost as though he was no longer inside his own mind. It lasted until the doorway was shut, whereupon the enormity of what he had just done hit him like 10,000 freight trains. He sank to his knees, tore his mask off and gasped into the empty air. His body shuddered as he sought to breathe in again, but it was as though he had decided to stop living. That breath was too much of a luxury. Undoing the catch at his shoulder, he flipped his breastplate off and let it clatter to the deck. Still kneeling, he grasped the hilt of his katana and drew it out in one smooth move, angling the point towards his heart. In a moment, Agent Lee was upon him. She had opened the door on hearing the clattering noises and sobbing from within, and dived down to redirect the blade, kicking the door shut behind her. They froze in that clinch together, Thomas beneath her, quaking and struggling to pull in air. Lee held his arms and felt the cold touch of steel pressing into her side, its razor-sharp edge angled outwards. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. 
I understand. And if you wish to go, that is in your power. But wait one moment with me. Just one. How could I? How could I? Thomas stammered, his voice broken and damaged. I just did what I thought was best and right. There was no right. There is no forgiveness for this. I am. I can't. I can't. Not anymore. It's everything. It's everything. 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 I know. Lee tightened her grip as he shuddered. I'm a monster. I am a monster. And this world is monstrous. You can choose not to be a monster. What a horror of a world. What a horror of a world. What a horror of a world. Yes. But she may live. And you may be able to make the world less monstrous for her. Her arms were warm around him. Time passed as White drifted in and out of comprehension. Lee was able to reattach his armor and mask, and by and by they received news of Harry's recovery. The Zeppelin took off, and they were borne back north to Washington. I realize now that my bargaining tactic was inherently flawed, murmured White listlessly when they had been in the air several hours. Back there I was reliant on those people to comprehend that this girl was of importance to me, but that I was prepared to sacrifice her for my principles. He sat up in his bunk. I was too overwhelmed by emotional attachment to see that this had not been properly conveyed, and they were unaware that my ultimatum was itself a negotiation. A statement of intent and determination set against their desire to live free or die. I have to stop regarding our enemies as tactical equals, capable of shrewd reasoning. That, Lee's voice faltered, is what you take from this experience. Virginia, November 29th, 1883. Four months later, Lee lay in the same medical bay as Harry had, thigh and plaster, her femur snapped. Gray had beaten her and escaped, and Penrose had seemingly defected. White sat with her as the best available medics tended to the injury. Then afterwards, she lay, still and silent, and they were alone. Thomas reached out tenderly to touch her hand. Lee's eyes opened. For the longest time, I was nothing. He nodded in understanding. You gave me 
purpose. Serving Thomas Arlington. I was your striking hand. I knew my course. But now... Now you strike yourself. And I no longer know who I am. Hence, I am nothing again. Please, heal with me. Your healing has turned. And now you damage yourself and others. These children you seek to save, you do so by destroying them. Only the minority, bent on self-destruction. The ones who present a danger to all they come into contact with. If I remove them, the others may live. This is a dark path you have chosen. I am uncertain if my staying with you will help you more than my saying enough is enough. All these years we have watched over one another. Please do not leave me in the darkness. Alone. You have been listening to episode 20 of Stone Spring Maidens, The End, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Narration, Ulysses S. Grant and Mr. White, performed by Alex Shaw. Agent Lee Ying Long and Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Dr. Julius Kaufman, performed by Matt Wardle. Harry Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor. Truth Arlington, and Laura Graham, performed by Theo Lee. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. The Star-Spangled Banner, performed by Chase Holfelder. Emotional Choirs by Carlos Estella. Autumn Air Who by NCM. Many soundscapes, including Dust to Dust, Dark Angel, Dark Continent, Protean Fields, and Submerged by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our top-tier sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, 
Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hebner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finn Barnicol, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, and Valencia Burns.